Hello, my name's David Clarkson and I'm the minister here at Barclay Viewforth Church. We're still in lockdown and so we're not able to meet in our building just at the moment. So most of our activities are online for now. But the Kirk session, following the latest advice that we have, have decided that we might be able to open the building again on Easter Sunday. We are waiting for confirmation of that from the Scottish Government, but assuming that it is confirmed, all of the previous restrictions on what we can do in the building will still apply. Uh, so masks are going to have to be worn, there's going to be no singing and so on. If we are able to open, we're going to revert to the procedure that we had when we uh, opened last year. So we require you to book during the week prior to the Sunday service so that we can uh, keep to our maximum number and make sure that we have enough spaces uh, for people. So if we're opening the building for Easter Sunday, anyone wanting to attend on that day will be able to book from Monday the 29th of March until noon on Thursday the 1st of April. We expect confirmation on Tuesday this week, so keep your eye on the website or social media for updates and we will try and let people know as best we can when we are sure what's happening. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you for the way that you can take the ordinary things and make them new. You're able to take ordinary lives lived by ordinary people and fill them with meaning. We praise you for your promise of joy and your offer of peace that can utterly transform how we live and how we respond to the world around us. We praise you for Jesus who walked a hard path through life. For the way he shared in the hopes and the fears of those around him. For the way he makes us aware of the demands of your love and for the way his presence breaks hardened hearts. We praise you for the way Jesus touches and changes the whole of life. He opens our eyes to the wonder of your creation and our ears to the song of your love. He opens our lips to praise you for his coming, living, dying and rising. He opens our hearts to receive him and to be filled with your life transforming spirit. Lord, there's no God like you, no God beside you. You're the Lord of creation and the universe isn't large enough to contain the praise that we want to offer. We praise you for Jesus the door and the key to new life, new beginning and wholeness. Today we come in his name and for his glory. Amen. Over these last weeks uh, we've heard the Lord's Prayer in a number of languages and now Pervez is going to read to us today in our chapter 11 verses 2 to 4 in Urdu. I am Tujo Asman Parha, Tera Nam Pak Manajai, Teri Bad Shahiai, Teri Marzi Jasi Asman Parpuri Hoti Hai, Semin Parbiho, Amare Rose Kiroti. हर रोज हमें अता कर 
اور جس طرح ہم اپنے قصور واروں کو معاف کرتے ہیں تو بھی ہمارے قصور ہمیں معاف کر ہمیں آزمائش میں نہ ڈال بلکہ برائی سے بچا کیونکہ بادشاہی قدرت اور جلال سب کچھ تیرا ہی ہے آمین We've covered a lot of ground over the past few weeks. I hope that you've found something that will help you in building your relationship with God. And that's where we started. The idea that prayer flows from our relationship with God. There are three things that we should consider when we are praying. I've said them already today. Keep it simple, keep it real and keep it up. It's really important to remember that building a relationship with God doesn't just happen. It takes time and it takes effort. There's one more important topic to discuss. And today I want to talk about the opposition that we face as Christians. And I know that as soon as we start talking about Satan and demons, there's going to be people that think, oh, that sounds crazy or some sort of secondary Marvel movie. It's a bit odd. But actually, it's really important. I think if you don't understand that there is spiritual warfare, you don't really understand prayer. And the Bible is 100% clear that we are in a spiritual battle. There is an active enemy. And we're told that he has come only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus himself launched his whole ministry with 40 days of spiritual warfare in the wilderness. And then the Apostle Peter, he says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and high places. So spiritual warfare is a biblical reality. I mean, every time you pick up a newspaper or watch the news, really from anywhere in the world, there are stories of war, of genocide, of human trafficking, terrible things that humans do to other people. Of course, it would be easy perhaps to think that that's all a bit far away and not really much to do with us. But even for ourselves, if we are really honest, we all know We all have that experience of the daily battle against temptation and all kinds of attack. That's why Jesus says when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we should pray, deliver us from the evil one. Because there is an evil one. There is an enemy. It's only our tiny little bit of the Western world, and really only in the last couple of hundred years, that has had this weird notion that there isn't a devil. That there isn't an evil realm. The vast majority of people alive today, and certainly the vast majority that have ever lived, have known that there is a reality of evil in the world. You might be thinking, well, surely that's all just psychiatry, and that's part of the problem. You know, we do have to learn from psychiatry. It's a really important branch of medicine. But... You know, we have to acknowledge that to apply psychiatry doesn't in any way remove 
the fact that there is a spiritual realm, there is another realm that psychiatry doesn't deal with. The spiritual realm and the physical, the material, biological realm are integrated. But it seems that especially in the West, over the last few decades, there's been a real push to separate them. Western medicine doesn't always allow for that integration. So, of course, psychiatry is important. Mental health is a huge issue in our society today. But psychiatry doesn't have all the answers. We must make sure that we have a biblical worldview of these things. And it's interesting, you know, when, when we look at Jesus and his stance, he was so clear that there is a spiritual battle being fought. He wasn't just rehashing the cosmology of everybody in the first century in the Middle East. It's likely, in fact, that there would have been at least three different kinds of groups who would have disagreed with him when he was teaching about these things. First, there were the Sadducees. They were, I suppose, a kind of sophisticated political group who distrusted anything that smacked of super-spirituality. I like many people today, they didn't believe in angels or demons or life after death. They thought that stuff was primitive. For them, the kingdom of God was primarily a socio-political reality. And so, when it came to the Lord's Prayer, they'd probably have been pretty happy just to leave that line, deliver us from the evil one. And then secondly, there would have been the the wild-eyed Essenes. They they lived out in the desert. They, They camped in the wilderness and they spent lots of their time in prayer and seeking after God. And and these folks were the opposite of the Sadducees because everything was a kind of super spiritual experience for them. And where the Sadducees tended to minimise spiritual warfare, the uh, Essenes wallowed in it. They wanted it. They longed for it. Where the Sadducees might have preferred to get rid of that line of the Lord's Prayer, I think the Essenes probably would have liked to have nothing but that one line, to be liberated from the evil one. Because everything was about that battle. For them, and nothing mattered more to them than that. And then, as well as the Sadducees and the Essenes, you had another group. And if you've ever spent any time in church, you will have heard of these folks because they were the Pharisees. They're kind of like the the middle ground, the religious people. They they believed in angels and demons and heaven and hell and those things. But but they thought that the way you overcame those things, the way that you overcame Satan, the enemy, was to live a radically righteous and holy life and follow all uh, the rules that they had. So they didn't go out into the wilderness. They weren't a sect like the Essenes in that sense and neither did they get so involved in the the, the politics and the political intrigue of the day. What they did was to have a list of 613 rules that you had to obey. And, and if you obeyed all of those, you were perfect and you were right with God and you had overcome the enemy. They would have been happy with deliver us from evil and the evil one at the end of the Lord's Prayer because they knew the 613 rules and that's what for them got the job done. The reason that I'm telling you that is because I think most people today fall into one of those three categories. And of course they're caricatures, of course they are. But but maybe some people watching this, 
naturally veer more to the kind of Sadducee view where, where maybe they find this Sessionist talk so far even a little bit odd, a little bit strange, maybe super spiritual, talking about heaven and hell and demons and uh, a bit weird. They prefer to be talking about psychology or sociology or social justice or political engagement or cultural credibility. All that kind of sensible stuff. Then there's probably others who are watching this who are naturally a bit more like the Essenes. So they would generally prefer to pray about a problem than, for example, to go and see the doctor about it. Or to write to a politician about it. No one wants to be like the Pharisees. But their worldview on this issue... Maybe a little bit more like where they, they recognise the reality of spiritual warfare is, is understood. But they would want to suggest that, that we don't get too carried away with that. You know, kind of, let's stay focused on, on the less controversial things like you know, Bible studies and, and personal holiness. The interesting thing is that when Jesus teaches on these things, he challenges all of those viewpoints. I think that a life that is modelled on Jesus and rooted in a biblical worldview combines a sober recognition of the reality of spiritual warfare, which is our theme for today, but also just an earthy dose of good humour and common sense. It's important to get the balance right. C.S. Lewis who was the author of many books, but, but best known perhaps for his books uh, uh, Narnia. He wrote also a book about spiritual warfare. It's called The Screwtape Letters, and I would thoroughly recommend it. It's funny, it's relevant, and it's profound. It's deep. C.S. Lewis says, There are two equal but opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So I want to take a look at what the Bible says. I want to read from Ephesians, the book of Ephesians and from chapter 6 because there's a real key in there as we seek to pray and to live for God and to engage in spiritual warfare. I want to read from verse 11. So Ephesians 6 from verse 11. There's the Apostle Paul who's writing and he says, Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armour of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. When you read what the armour is later in that section, what you see is that most of it is given to help us defend ourselves. The passage says again and again, stand firm, stand firm, stand. It's not so much about taking the fight to the enemy, but more about just not giving ground when we're attacked. 
I suppose one of the greatest spiritual breakthroughs that you ever see, that the greatest bit of spiritual warfare you can ever do is to preach the good news of Jesus, to tell somebody else about Jesus, to lead someone then into a living personal relationship with him. On the cross, Jesus overcame Satan and won the victory there. When Jesus called out, it is finished, that's what he meant. It was the fulfilment of God's plan to deal with sin and evil. With his death and his resurrection, Satan was defeated, yet he hasn't yet been destroyed. If you read the New Testament, you're reading the book of Revelation, it's like the devil's on his death throes. And so we need to pray for God's kingdom to come. It's not automatic that the kingdom comes. We have to pray it in. And when we pray, we pray from a place of victory. We we pray from a place of joy, not despair or despondency. That's because we know that the battle has been won. Jesus has already won the victory. And so we are praying from a place of victory and and we are wielding, if you like, the the word of God, knowing that the word of God overcomes. We are running with the shoes of the gospel, knowing that the victory has been won by Jesus on the cross. And yet the reality is that we, we know because we see it every single day. We are surrounded by suffering and manifest evil in the world. So how do we make sense of that? If there's already a victory, where does all that come from? And what do we do with it? And how do we understand it? Well, we all live our lives in what we call the now but not yet. Jesus brought heaven to earth. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, right in the beginning of his ministry, he announced the kingdom of heaven is near. He brought heaven to earth. And so we get glimpses of glory and of his kingdom. He's building his kingdom, but we haven't yet reached that time when time as we know it will end and we will experience the rule and the reign of God. The day when Jesus returns will be a day when there will be no more sin and sickness, no more suffering, no more manifest evil in the world. And so we are praying and we are longing and we are preaching the gospel in this context of being in this gap between the darkness and the light, between the resurrection and the return of Jesus. And so we've got to pray in the victory of Jesus because it's not automatically applied. And you know, there's, there's a really lovely example of this in the Old Testament where the prophet Daniel, you might know him from the story of when he was thrown into the den of lions. But he's, he's there and he's reading God's word. And he's reading from the scroll, the the message of Jeremiah. And he begins to understand that the people of Israel are not meant to be in captivity. That God has a different plan and a different purpose for them. And so he's pulled into that tension. It's like he's, he's thinking to himself, we've got to get out of this. We're not meant to be in this place. And so he begins to pray. And he also fasts for 21 days. We're told that he fasted of his food, but he also fasted of body lotion. I don't know, don't ask me. However, that's what he did. He's there, he's denying himself and he's seeking God and he's praying and he keeps praying because he realises that God wants one thing and it's not happening. 
It's as if he's trying to pull in the will of God to the situation and the purpose of God and the word of God. He's dragging them in. He's fighting with the sword of the spirit, as it were. And an angel appears to him and he says, I heard you on day one. But it's taken me this 21 days because I have been resisted and have been fighting the prince of Persia. And what earth's that? Well, remember when we started in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Princes, principalities and regions like Persia. So there's a little insight into the angelic realm and the warfare that's going on as we pray. And that's sometimes why we have to persevere in prayer. Because God hears us the moment that we ask. But sometimes there's a battle that's going on for the will of God to apply. But if we just pray it and we don't actually practice it, then it's kind of nonsense. We have to live this stuff out as well. There's no point in praying for God's victory if we don't demonstrate it with the way that we live our lives. If we pray for victory but live in defeat, why would anyone believe anything that we say? I think one of the best things that we can do in terms of spiritual warfare is to try and work out what is the thing that the enemy is doing and what's his strategy in our area. And then by discerning the spirit that's at work, maybe in your workplace or in your home or in your neighbourhood, then once we've worked it out, we choose to live in the equal but opposite spirit. For example... If there's lots of greed around, we need to live with greater generosity. If there's lots of arrogance around, we need to live with greater humility. Because otherwise the enemy starts to tempt you with those very things that that are around in the world. But by doing the opposite, you're proving that Jesus has overcome them. And so when we've prayed it and and we've practised it, we also have to preach it. Because as well as praying in spiritual warfare, as well as living out the equal but opposite spirit, at some point we've simply got to tell people about Jesus. We have to proclaim the gospel and declare the victory of Jesus. You know, when when someone gives their life to Jesus, when someone becomes a Christian, that's the ultimate victory. The church cannot grow if people are not responding to the gospel. We're just, it's like shuffling the deck, tier, deck chairs on the Titanic. If you do that, you're just moving them from one place to another. Growth happens when, when new life happens. And if you and I are not struggling in prayer for our family, for our friends, for our neighbours, then who do we think is going to explain Jesus to them? If we're not setting an example in righteous living and experiencing the presence of God, where are others going to find that example? If we're not prepared to share the good news of the gospel, how is anyone else ever going to find God? If we have thousands of people living in our parish who know nothing of God, the question is, are you and I going to fight for them? Or are we content to leave them to Satan? The battle is real. And the battle is ours. And God says he will walk with us in it. Over these last weeks we've talked about adoration, intercession, contemplation, petition and listening. 
We've talked about unanswered prayer and spiritual warfare. You're not going to do all that every time you pray. But I hope that you now have enough knowledge to help you with each of those at different times and in different ways. I think one really helpful thing to do is to remind yourself of who Jesus is and what he's done. The hymn that we're going to sing now reminds us that he is Lord of life, triumphant over death, risen in victory, surrounded in glory, too bright even for the angels who will one day usher in a kingdom of peace and righteousness and whose praise we will sing for eternity. We're going to sing crown him with many crowns.
Thanks for joining with us today. I I hope that you'll try some of the exercises that we've shared over the last few weeks and that your prayer times are a source of encouragement to you. As we all go into this week and into whatever we face, our prayer is that you will know and experience the blessing the presence, the love and the peace of God wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, whatever you're doing and that this week if you don't already know him you'll come to know him for yourself. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week.